0: Live from the NBC News radio broadcasting studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful, raining, sunny California. It's not sunny here, it's just raining hard. Thanks for tuning into The Water Zone. I'm your host, Rob Starr. Uh, Our other co-host, Mr. Mike Barron, is taking it easy these days. He's uh, actually catching up on some sleep with his legs up, and he's enjoying a little bit of time off, which he deserves. And uh, I did bring in somebody else. To, to tag along with me, Mr. Chris Davy. Chris, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well today.
0: Yeah, turn your mic on. He's a, new, he's <laughs> <Okay>. a newbie. <laughs>
1: now the mic's on. I'm doing very well today, Rob. Thanks very much.
0: <laughs> and just so everybody knows, Chris also works with the Toro Company, and he's uh, a, a manager of products such as? Right.
1: Uh, in uh, my role, I take care of all the hydraulic products for the Toro Company. So if water runs through it,
0: I manage that product. All right. So, uh, and then we do have, uh, this is Ag Week as well. So, we have uh, Ms. Inge Biskoner and Mr. Paul McFadden. Uh, but a couple of things, Paul uh, Paul. Uh, Paul knows the answer to this, but I'm going to ask Chris because he's the yeah. new guy. Yeah. You know what today
1: is? Rob, I do happen to know what today is. It's March 22nd, but more than that, it's the United
0: Nations World Water Day. Absolutely. And that's a special thing. The world, You know, the wor- World Water Day is an annual observance that's done on, on the 22nd and that was uh, commissioned by the United Nations. It's also used to advocate for the sustainable management of freshwater resources. Uh, World Water Day is celebrated all around the world at a variety of events. we can't go to one because we're working. <laughs> unfortunately, uh, they can be educational, theatrical, musical, lobbying in nature, and the day also includes campaigns to raise money for different water projects. It's the first World Water Day designated by the water by the United Nations, and was commemorated in 1993. So it goes back kind of a long time, and uh, there's a couple couple things uh, that that people should know about this. Um, Just some some facts and figures about it. You know, globally, there's over 80% of the wastewater generated by society flows back into the ecosystem without even being treated or reused. That's a lot. That's a lot of water. And 1.8 billion people use a source of drinking water contaminated with feces, putting them at risk of contracting cholera, uh, dysentery, typhoid, and polio. Unsafe water, poor sanitation, and hygiene causes 842,000 deaths each year. That's according to the World Health. And uh, That's some sobering facts. Uh, very sobering facts. So anyway, it's observed on March 22nd, which is today, so there's a lot of things happening on that. And one more thing about locally uh, what's coming up for events before we get into the news. April, you know what April is? I didn't tell you the answer to this one. <laughs> <laughs> so you have that look on your face. It's Earth Day Month. Yes, it is. And there's a lot of Earth Days by water agencies. And what's locally around California, at least in the areas where we're broadcasting from, uh, the general population, on um, April 7th, Cucamonga Valley Water District has theirs. It's going to be from 10 to 2. Uh, next one is the City of Corona on April 7th as well. That's a Saturday. April 11th through 13th, Chino Basin Water Conservation District has, uh, uh, they're celebrating that. And it's a three-day educational thing as well. goes from Wednesday through Friday. April 19th, the Empire Utilities Agencies has theirs. It's on a Thursday from 4 to 7 p.m. April 20th, Western Municipal Water District from 3 to 7 p.m. That's in Riverside. And Sustainable Claremont, which is going to be on April 22nd from 9 a.m. to 4. And it's a Sunday, which is the only Sunday one, which is kind of strange. I didn't think people were going to do it on a Sunday. And then April 28th is Eastern Municipal Water District, and that's in the city of Paris. So that's from 11 to 3. So just for the local listeners, those are the things that are going to happen. Pretty pretty decent events. Chris and I are probably going to be in most of those, right? At most of them, and and uh, so that'll be good. In fact, the one in Cucamonga Valley Water District, uh, they're having a special, letting the uh, the water zone people uh, be their master of ceremonies this, for this year's events. We're excited about that. Yeah and everything else. <laughs> just to ca-
1: add a little bit of focus to the World Water Day and the Earth Day events in April, mm-hmm. right? It's really, it's meant to provide some exposure, have people think about water as more than something you just drink or to provide basic hygiene for yourself, right, look at it as more uh, of a broad, in a broader perspective, looking at how vital it is for creating jobs throughout the world in agriculture and other supporting industries, looking at economic, social and ho- human development issues. It is a very broad subject and I think it's it's great that, uh, that uh, the United Nation has this date set aside just so we, we can have some
0: focus on those things. Should you wash your car on that day? You should probably not. <laughs> we you think they'll get mad at us if we have a <laughs> protest and, and have that around the country? I don't know. You know, it's, I, you know it's something very remarkable to me is you go to these water conferences all year round, and what's the first thing you get when you walk in there? A bottle of water. A bottle of water. <laughs> so don't understand that. Chris, are you on today?
2: I'm sure. I'm right here.
0: Hey, so we have the, the most famous purveyor of Maven's Notebook, Miss Chris Austin. Chris, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. So it's raining down in Southern California, is it?
0: Absolutely. Well, well, which which it, is it nice. It's raining
2: up here. I'm in Sacramento this week. And ah. It was raining up here this morning pretty hard, but we came out of the conference today, and well, we have Blue sky and sun and little breeze. So it's, uh, it's looking nice up here. The goat? It's interesting. You know, the big question are we having the March miracle? That's been, you know, the headline in the news. And yes, this precipitation certainly has been helpful. But it's interesting to note we kind of have the same pattern uh, that we had last year in a sense. Uh, with this rainfall, Sacramento is going to be up to about 87% of their normal precipitation. However, the snow in snowpack in the Sierras is only going to go up to about 50%. Mm. So again, we're having, you know, we're seeing what the scientists have said is going to start happening. We're seeing more rain and less snow. You know last year when we had the record precipitation, uh, we had record rainfall in Northern California, but it was not a record snowpack by far by like about a third less from off the record snowpack so we're definitely starting to see uh, what the climate scientists have been telling us we're going to see less snow and more rain
0: yeah so. well we certainly we certainly need the rain here, unfortunately, people up in Santa Barbara. Uh, Ventura County are having a bad time because they still have all that, you know, the runoff stuff with the uh, with the uh, Recent from fires. the fires and stuff, and that's that's pretty horrendous for them. They keep keep having to evacuate their 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 homes and losing homes, and I don't know, I, I don't know why people buy places that are prone to those things and they know it's there, like living near the ocean when there's floods and, you know, fuck, beats me. Well, I I, 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 don't, I don't understand that, but. <laughs>
2: But, you know, there, there's there's danger in a lot of places, and a lot of places maybe you wouldn't think, uh, you know, actually, in some of these housing developments that they build, uh, in Southern California, we're very smart about how to build on that wildland interface, right. you know. Um, you have these house, new housing developments that are covered by this green belt. Uh, they're surrounded by the green belt, and the fire goes up to the edge of the, cre- of the green belt, and the fire helicopters come and and knock that fire down. And, you know, I in the 20 years that I've been living in the Santa Clarita Valley, we've had a lot of fires in our area. But in terms of we have not lost a house in a new housing development the whole time I've lived there for from a wildfire coming in because, you know, they, they built them so they keep them out. Where you get those property losses, where people that aren't on these developments, they're in the canyons, Nestled in the trees, right. you know, it, really beautiful properties. But you know, it, really anywhere in California, it, uh, if you're in a rural type property, you're you're you know, you have wildfire risk, and and after wildfires comes the mudslide.
0: Well, I remember in the papers for all of us who own our homes, in the paperwork to buy the home, they they have a clause in there about the thousand year flood or the hundred year flood, I should say. And so everybody kind of knows, hey, you know, this could happen within 100 years and, you know, your home's going to get washed away. And
2: Well, you know, like down in, in the San Bernardino area, there's a lot of development that's happened on these alluvial fans. Which, if you understand what an alluvial fan is, it's water that's come down out of the mountains and it spreads out across the valley. So you have these nice sort of properties that overlook the valley, but really they're quite... Uh, quite a, a flood risk. Oh. Uh, you probably wouldn't realize that. You think it's a desert,
3: you know, <laughs> it doesn't just...
2: rain here much. No. But when it rains, it really it can really rain and it can really cause problems. It, oh. You know, Southern California has flood issues, too. We're just not really aware of them.
0: No, that's, that's true. So what happened up at your conference this week?
2: Oh, I am at a great conference this week. It's called the California Water Policy Conference. And they really uh, set up some very interesting panels, and they uh, they get some uh, really divergent set of views on the panels. And we talk about things. We ended uh, the day today with a panel on uh, equity and justice in water, um, and it was quite you know it was quite interesting, you know. We think of things that have happened, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago as, you know, well, that's past, that's history, but, um, you know, that's really not true. There are so many things that happened, and there's just conditions that have continued. You know, you think about the gold rush area. Who who thinks, you know, gold rush really affects us anymore? But it really does. We have mercury, you know, still coming out of abandoned mines. And it's, you know, mercury in the fish in the delta and and across whole whole California really is is an issue. Um, You know, and that's from the gold rush era. And, you know, there are just a lot of things that have happened uh, to you know, the disadvantaged communities and the populations, you know, that they've lived in, that, you know, kind of some, well, ugly things, you know, in California's state history um, that have happened, that have sort of pushed these uh, disadvantaged, they push these people into these low-income communities where there's, you know, where they don't want to provide services Just you know, set them all off over there. And although these, these things sort of happened back in the you know, early 1900s, say even the 50s into the 60s. Uh, it's not that things, you know, maybe we don't have those policies anymore, but the people still live in those disadvantaged communities, and it's kind. Of, it was really very interesting. Uh, we had a woman from the Community Water Center who is just uh, the Community Water Center uh, worked for the Central Valley. Uh, towns where mostly farm workers where they have to drink some really uh brown brown water comes out of their faucet and they can't use it for drinking or for you know they can only use it for limited things they pay incredible amounts she was saying sometimes 250 dollars a month in water that they can't drink Mm. and they have to go bring water in from a store i mean and these are the very poorest people that you know we have in our society, the farm workers that pick our 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 plants, you know, and the plants get better water than the farm workers. It's really it's really sad. Yeah. Uh, but that was a very interesting panel that we closed with. Um, and we had the director of Department of Water Resources, Carla Namus. Uh, she kicked off the day with a you know with a speech. that she talked about. All the things that the Department of Water Resources is doing, and you know the different programs that they have, and so it's been a really good day.
0: Well, you know, you were talking about the, <clears throat> excuse me, the wildfires that we've had all over California. You know, it, it, that intensifies and impacts the water quality not only to far, far for, uh, forested uh, watersheds but to everybody else. You know, all oh. all of that stuff. You know, they have to change the recipe on how to purify the water from that.
2: Oh yeah, you know they, it's between sixty to eighty percent of the state's water comes from our forested watersheds—the Sierra Nevadas and the Coast Range and other areas around—and you know we have not taken very good care of our forests, so it's a big issue. When that fire comes through, it just it clears out the the trees. It, it you know there's. Sediment and water quality issues, and if if it's a highly populated area, it's a lot of toxic stuff. You know, when a house burns, and you see nothing there, okay, all that stuff in the house, it went somewhere.
4: Okay, (laughs) it didn't just
2: vaporize. Well, it did in a sense. A lot went up in the smoke. A lot went running off into the waters and the streams and the waterways. I mean. You know, fire is is very destructive.
0: <laughs> well, absolutely. I, I, I think it's a, it's going to be a bigger challenge in California. You know, we had a gentleman uh, who's the executive director of the California Nevada sector of AWWA <clears throat> uh, last week, and they're going to come back on and talk about water quality throughout California and what some of the problems are that people don't even realize is happening. You know, you talked about the people up in central California where the, the, the water is coming out brown. Um They got to, you know, everybody thought Flint, Michigan was terrible, but there's a lot in California that's just as bad, which is going to be a big problem. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, we really need to start addressing these problems. And a lot of times the problem is not that we don't know what to do. I mean, we know what to do. We know how to deliver clean drinking water to people's houses. There's no question about that. It just takes money. It just takes funding and
3: political will.
0: Yeah, that most of all, Paul. Did you, you, know, you have we're a question? not going
3: to stand for this. No, I'm uh, I'm on the line, Rob, but I I can't hear uh, Chris.
0: Oh, okay. Sorry about that. <clears throat> I Thought you were chiming in. I didn't want to cut you off or any of that. I apologize. Um, also, Chris, I heard that LA opposes the $17 million, $1 billion dollar tunnels if its residents must pay more than their fair share.
2: Oh yeah, boy, did Metropolitan get everybody in an uproar <laughs> up north. <laughs> Yeah, you know they talked. You know we're we're still arguing about these tunnels, and you know the state came out about a month, six weeks ago, and said, you know maybe we'll just build one tunnel and two intakes now, and we'll come back and do the second tunnel and the other intake when when we have funding for that, and uh, and and so Metropolitan had a board meeting and some of their board of directors said, well, what if we build the whole thing? Because the Central Valley is going to need water, you know. And so basically, they're like, if we build this, people will come to us for water. Mm-hmm. And if we build it, then we want to make sure that you know we're going to be able to control the price that we charge people for delivering them water through our tunnel system, and also. I mean, that's got everybody in an uproar. And basically the city of Los Angeles said, well, we'll pay for our share, but we don't want to pay for this second tunnel and this third intake. You know, we just want to pay our share. We don't want to be financing this, you know, this other project. So we'll see. Now, that's not a water district, necessarily. That's the city of L.A., which does own Department of Water and Power, but I don't know if the city council's decision, you know, means that DWP has to follow that. I imagine it does, but I I can't say for sure.
0: If you had a look in your water crystal ball, when do you think the decisions on all these tunnel things is going to be decided?
2: Well, I think that it really has to be decided before Governor Brown leaves office, and I think that there's a real feeling that that needs to happen, Uh, not just for Governor Brown's legacy, uh, but more so I think because we just don't um, we just don't know what the incoming governor is going to think about this, and none of the None of the candidates for governor have come out and said, "Oh we're in favor of the tunnel no and they're not talking said, they're not
0: talking about it <laughs> yeah trying, exactly they, it.
2: they know it's kind of a hot, and the few that have have basically indicated that they're not in support of that project now they're not elected yet, and you know uh, things can change, and uh there's a lot of nuances into this question of the tunnels uh so you know. Maybe they might change their mind, but right now, none of the governor candidates are saying, "You know, we want to go build tunnels." So, mm.
0: we should have a, we should have a contest. And <laughs> no, seriously, we should have a contest. I'm win a hundred dollar gift certificate. We'll think about how we can put that together. Maybe announce it next week <clears throat> on, on a date. People can write in uh, and give us a date, and uh, we'll see uh, if they're right. And we'll, we'll put it, we'll <laughs> set a deadline. You know, by the time the, the next governor comes in and see if anybody can come up with the date. Nothing, sure. to, nothing to lose, 100 bucks to gain. And they can use the card to go wherever they want, do whatever they want. A great idea. Yeah, we do that. A great idea. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here thinking, just
1: what a juxtaposition it is in this day and age, and in the state of California, Chris. When you mention about people in our own state here with on on water systems and not getting quality water, right? You you think of those things normally other places in in, in the world, right, where people have to spend energy, time, and and effort in acquiring water every day, right, if for for drinking, and and then when they get it, it's not always of the uh, of, of good quality, and so they have to deal with the health impact. Of, of using contaminated water. It's uh, it's something you think about in third-world countries, not in the state of California. Well, uh, Yeah,
2: but uh, unfortunately, there's about a million people in the state of California that live that life, most of them in the Central Valley, right? Um, and most of them farm workers. And, and unfortunately, most of them are people of color, which is really... You know, not. It's just really a very sad thing.
0: Well, to me, to me, it shouldn't matter what race, religion, creed. There are they're human beings, and exactly. You know, they. We need to fix what we got broken. And well,
2: and when and when you think about the fact that if you're you don't have a lot of money because you work a job like a farm worker job, and then you have to go out and buy bottled water. Yeah. It's quite a significant. Spent for someone who's living at the poverty level i mean we we should not we should not allow this and and we do have some legislation uh that is pending in the state legislature that would add a surcharge of 95 cents on every water every household water bill across the state of california that would solve this problem and it would create a really reliable funding stream so that we could really attack this problem. But the water agencies are uh, really fighting this tax, so they don't want to collect this tax. This is something they're going to have to set up systems to collect and submit to the state, And, and they're saying there are better ways to solve this. Although we've been dealing with this problem for decades, and we have not solved it yet. So I would question, okay, what is that better way? But um, but this is the, the thing that's on the table now. And we'll see. We should probably know in the next couple of weeks if it's going to pass. Yeah.
0: It's it's kind of sad when you hear the stories of people who have to drink that kind of water and, 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 and what it does to children and affects them and their health growing up. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think this country has a good heart. But I also think that a lot of people are freaking out about big government and you know, uh, this is another thing that's going to have to be created, and who's going to run it? Who's going to, man- you know, who's going to do the, the management of it? Is all the money going to go to this thing, or is it going to be diverted to some other projects? I mean, that's always the question. At least it's been this way now for the last couple of years, and more and more every day, people are questioning everybody who, who has a solution or an idea for a solution. It gets challenged, and I think there should be discussion on both sides or all sides to what's what. But we got we got to, we got to stop politicizing a lot of things and just go for the things that are going to help humanity and make us a better a better life and a better better people in this world. Because it's, uh, you know, we, we, we think we have it tough and as bad as, you know, what you're saying up in central California. There's, there's places in Nicaragua where people have to walk three miles just to get a gallon of water and, and schlep it back, and the water isn't as clean as, you know, <laughs> as they want it to be. But that's the way the world is, and it's kind of a shame when you only got less than 2% of all the water in the world that you can drink that's it yeah Uh, and uh you know
2: we we i really think we need to find a way to address this problem yeah you know one one way or another i don't know if this water tax as the agencies are saying um you know if that's the answer i you know they the water agencies say no you know, a lot of the contaminants there are really is a a result of irrigated agriculture that's been going on in the Valley since the early 1900s, you know, fertilizers and all this stuff that seeps into the groundwater. Um, So the farmers have some, you know, some culpability here, but not necessarily the farmers that are farming there right now, but perhaps their ancestors. So, you know, there's the farmers are saying, well, you know, it's, not it's not entirely our fault you know we, we've inherited this problem but again you know we just have people uh pointing fingers at who should come up with the money we can solve this problem we know how to deliver clean drinking water to people we we do know how to do that absolutely take money
0: i think you know? i think was an idea for a show you know we've had people on from the legislature and everywhere else <clears throat> i think we should get two opposing people and have a debate, and have them come yeah. on the show, and then we can ask questions. I mean, we got Ingi and Paul and, and Chris and myself. We can come up with the with the th- challenges to the, the questions and see what they uh, they say. Because when you talk to each people individually, the story sounds great, but then when it gets into the legislation, it kind of goes nowhere, and everybody starts fighting again. And but there's got to be again. We're smart enough to know it. Like you said, how to deliver clean water, how to how to process it, how to treat it. There's no reason they can't come up with a solution anyway. Right. So It
2: just takes money and political will.
0: Okay. Well, Chris, it's uh, time for our commercial break. We appreciate you coming on and updating us what's going on. And we'll talk to you next week. And uh, okay. have a happy World Water Day from us.
2: And Happy World Water Day yeah. to you. And, and, if, and, all the and,
0: it, and if you want to stick well. around, we have Dr. Uh, Glenda Humiston is going to be on. And uh, you're more than welcome to stay on and participate if you'd like.
2: Okay, well, I think I'll listen from my, my nifty speaker
0: that Inge gave me. Ah, <laughs> they're cool. So, anyway, thanks a lot. We'll thanks, be back. Chris. Hey, welcome back to the Water Zone on KCAA 1050 AM, and hope everybody's having a great day. Uh, now we got a special treat, because it's their week anyway, uh, Miss Inge Biskoner and Mr. Paul McFadden, and they're going to bring on some great people, person, for uh, Ag Week. So go for it, guys.
5: Uh, thank you, Rob. Uh, we're really pleased to celebrate World Water Day on the water zone with you and 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 Paul and Chris and, uh, and Chris Austin and with a, a perfect guest for this venue because uh, Dr. Glenda Humiston, the vice president of UC Ag and Natural Resources, is our guest, and she has worked all over the world, we'll find out. We're going to be talking about some neat stuff about what the University of California is doing, what she's been doing you know, kind of around the world under a couple of different presidents. and uh, She's an amazing
0: of, woman. I was reading her bio earlier. Yeah. Unbelievable. So mm-hmm. I'm very excited to listen.
5: Okay, Glenda, now that we've set the table, you know, you're, you're going to have to take us voice by storm.
4: <laughs> yeah, Welcome to once the show, I get Glenda. past blushing, that was really kind work. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> and my
4: partner Paul is
5: on the line. Paul, hello.
3: Good evening. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Glenda. It's uh, on this, uh I'm excited uh, for the interview and to hear your hear, uh, hear thoughts on World Water Day. And I know our listeners are, are excited as well. So let's uh, let's move forward.
5: Yeah, we'll dive right into it. So for our listening audience, just to give a little more about Glenda's background, she's a the,
3: uh,
5: the vice president of the University of California's Ag and Natural Resources. She was born in California but raised on a cattle ranch in Colorado. And she's come to us with more than 25 years of experience working on public policy development and program implementation supporting sustainability, which is a great topic for World Water Day. She's had time in the Peace Corps in Tunisia. She served under President Clinton and Obama in various positions. She wrote a um, a, a widely acclaimed guidebook on access to capital that's led efforts to bring rural issues to the forefront of the state's economic summit and policymakers throughout California. She uh, earned her PhD at UC Berkeley in environmental science policy and management, 2009, with a research focus on the US Farm Bill policy. And that's something we wanna talk about tonight as well. She has a master's degree in international ag development from UC Davis and a bachelor's degree in animal science from Colorado State University. So Glenda, tell us how this background got you to this position a vice president of UC ANR, and what exactly does that position do?
4: Well, in many ways, uh, this position is kind of something that all of my past work has led up to. Uh, It's an amazing position. Uh, ANR is an umbrella organization statewide whose mission is to bring the power and knowledge of the University of California to all the citizens of California. So we have researchers on campus as well as researchers out in the field. We have offices in every county of California. We've got research extension centers scattered all over the state. Uh, We host literally thousands of research projects. We fund some. We have 11 statewide programs and institutes, a couple of which people are probably more familiar with is our 4-H youth development program, but also uh, Master Gardeners. Uh, California is the home of the Integrated Pest Management Program, which we manage, uh, not only for California but for the Western state. We have a Water Research Institute, uh, Nutrition Policy Institute, and and several other programs that um, really focus on making sure the citizens of California get to uh, take advantage of all of the knowledge and research and public service opportunities from the University of California. Which is California's land grant university?
5: Wow, that's just incredible. Uh, you know, I, I'm a UC alum, and I didn't realize that did that much stuff, and I'm learning more every day. So we'll dive into a little more about um uh, U C T V a a little bit later. But at this point, I'll hand it back over to Paul to talk
3: about World Water Day. Thank you. As a is a uh, long-time forager and married to a master gardener. Thank you for all that you're doing on the on the front end <laughs> of the interview. I appreciate that. <laughs> as as we've mentioned a couple of times, uh, today is World Water Day. What is the in your opinion, what is the the situation with the world water today and what is the UC system doing to help educate or help uh, improve uh, water for citizens and farmers and, obviously, for the environment? You know, that's a
4: great question, and, and it's a per- particularly important question for California because, in many ways, uh, California is a bit of a, a, a microcosm, a laboratory for the world's water. We're dealing with drought. We're dealing with floods. We're dealing with moving water around in, in various systems, trying to get water to people, to agriculture. We've got uh, climate change, extreme weather. Uh, we got it all happening here in California. In fact, I think there's even a few glaciers left up there in the Sierra, <laughs> as well as the desert. You know, the the, the desert down deep. So um, we've got research projects literally looking at every single aspect of that uh, here in California to find solutions here. But a lot of our researchers work internationally too, with with colleagues from all over the, the world, looking at these issues and trying to find solutions. To those challenges.
5: Well, yeah, I know that you were one of six higher education witnesses that spoke before the U.S. House of Representatives, um, at the Committee on Agriculture, about the importance of university ag research and innovation last June. And then you just spoke at the World Ag Expo in Tulare this last February uh, about the 2018 Farm Bill. So tell us about how the Farm Bill works for an ordinary California citizen, and what we all hope to achieve in it um, for California and for the nation.
4: Yeah, as you mentioned in my bio introduction, I I did my Ph.D. research on the Farm Bill. It it is truly one of the most fascinating pieces of legislation that goes on in in Washington, D.C., and always has been, uh, largely because it has never really been partisan. The, the issues are revolving around urban versus rural, different regions versus other regions, commodities. And you end up having Republicans and Democrats on both sides of almost every single issue. Um, it, it makes for some very strange bedfellows, and that goes for the interest <laughs> groups, too. It's, it's a big, omnibus piece of legislation that happens every five years. Uh, most folks would say the modern farm bill was begun back in the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl, the combination of which uh, really knocked the U.S. for a loop, to put it mildly. And we had to start finding solutions to issues, and a lot of those issues were rural and agriculture and access to food. So over the decades, it's evolved from largely trying to stabilize uh, agriculture in our nation and deal with some of the environmental and and uh, transportation, infrastructure-type issues related to it, to uh, through the 50s and 60s, the Green Revolution, new ways of doing production. Uh, The 70s, we discovered that some of the Green Revolution, uh, with more focus on chemicals and irrigation and fertilizers, was creating a few environmental issues. 1985 Farm Bill, we got a conservation title. Uh, back in the 80s and 90s, we, we saw much more funding going to the nutrition programs. Uh, and, and up until, like, the 2008 Farm Bill was a particularly interesting one because for California, that was the first time we got a specialty crop title in the Farm right. Bill. Right. So at this point, the Farm Bill is 10 titles. It includes forestry, research, rural development uh, is a large one, um, conservation programs, farm service, uh, animal plant health inspection service, food nutrition, consumer sciences, and on and on and on. It's it's really just kind of an amazing omnibus bill that touches every single American every single day of their life, and yet most of them don't even have a clue what it is.
5: (laughs) Well, it's always amazing when you can find something that both sides of the aisle can uh, you know, join hands and, and agree to. As you were saying, it's really nonpartisan, uh, maybe urban versus rural. But, um, well, you, you yeah, think about it. Don't, we,
4: don't all think that doesn't eat. mean there aren't some really fascinating <laughs> fights. Because <'cause laughs> what you'll end up with is, is a Republican and a Democrat from the Midwest who are worried about grain fighting against a Republican and a Democrat against, say, Florida worried about um, citrus. And yeah. they're trying to make sure each of their different farmers are taken care of, and when you've got one pie, you know those slices—how you slice them—somebody wins, yeah. and somebody loses sometimes.
5: Everybody wants to get their share of the of, of the dollars, but at the end of the day, we all eat, and that is—that should be something that we all agree on. So it's uh, it's good to hear. And I know Paul, you were just recently in D.C. working on the farm bill, and maybe you can add some color to this and what you just recently uh heard
3: it was fascinating i i uh, i was there for the irrigation Association's legislative fly-in and we met with a number of senators and and congressmen and their staffs on determining where we're at with the farm bill and uh uh, i know that there's a lot of uh, things and a lot of moving parts and uh, especially on the house it seems to me that there was they're much more receptive along with a few senators uh, much more willing to engage and and uh, uh, listen uh, with uh, with uh, with uh, suggestions and so forth. Uh, but the but the latest information that I have, and I'd be interested, Glenda, uh, what you have heard. There seems to be um, uh, some stalling, if you will, on the Senate side, uh, which. I was told runs about two or three weeks behind the house in in this area, but there seems to be some stalling there in terms of putting uh, putting ideas uh, together to kind of match up with things that are done in the house. And I'm curious what your uh, what your sources are telling you. Yeah,
4: I was back in uh, Washington D.C. myself a couple weeks ago for a fly-in for our uh, council on agricultural research, extension, and teaching. We uh, we had a delegation of about twelve people back there and split up into two or three teams and managed to visit about thirty three offices. And believe me, if you do that in a couple of days, you are exhausted at the end of the day. That's
5: unbelievable. That's unbelievable. But we, True. We, <laughs> a lot of
4: offices. Yeah, we asked all those offices what was going on with the farm bill, and uh, it was pretty amazing. Um, most folks, both Republican and Democratic offices, felt like. It was it was a real toss-up. Most of them felt like there might be a markup, which means an initial hearing and discussion of the Farm Bill, in the House this spring, possibly one in the Senate, but that, frankly, the Farm Bill itself was likely not to get done until after the election because of so much else on the um, docket for Congress, as well as just, frankly, there's some political volatility there that a lot of folks don't want to deal with in an election year. And it's pretty normal for the Senate to be a few weeks or even a month or so um, later than the House. That's fairly common in in past farm bills. But right now, with budget and uh, all the uncertainty over trade and tariffs and and everything else, um, people are just really unsure what's going on. Plus, there's a lot of volatility over funding for the Nutrition program. That's that's what's mm-hmm. really holding up a lot of the discussions between the House and the
3: Senate. Hmm. The one, well, one thing that been... uh, the, the one segment that I was uh, really focused on, one of one of three items, was the Equip program, the Environmental uh, mm-hmm. Incentive Program, a Quality Incentive Program, and how uh, we can help uh, U.S. farmers become more efficient with their water usage, be better stewards of our water usage. And it sounded like uh, that was uh, uh, being looked at very favorably. Have you heard anything uh, along those lines?
4: Yeah, actually, EQIP, uh, Environmental Quality Incentives Program, is a very popular program, again, in a bipartisan way. A lot of the Farm Bill programs really are. Um, I think it's going to probably do okay in the Farm Bill, and believe me, I hesitate to do that. For, for 20 years now, I've advised people not to ever prognosticate on what the Farm Bill's going to end up being at the end, <laughs> because it'll surprise you every time. But, uh, yeah, equip will probably come out okay. Um, it's not quite as volatile as, say, the Rural Development programs, which have been on the chopping block during this administration. Um, one of the other issues we're really looking at is the research funding. Um, you, you know, the research funding, agricultural research, has just been in a steady decline for decades. Uh, China is now spending almost double the money the U.S. does on agricultural research. And, and wow. when you look at what that does for productivity, it, it, it's a direct co-relationship. Their productivity is raising rapidly, while ours is you know, relatively stagnant at this point.
5: Well, one thing I've been happy to see in um, uh, the farm bill or in the equip program is that we're starting to use the language of... Of productivity that we're wanting to fund and modernize our our agricultural practices and you know water um, uh, irrigation efficiency in particular to be a term called water use efficiency rather than just water conservation mm-hmm. and that means we're getting more crop per drop and getting more productivity. I know other countries are doing that and I've felt strongly for you know over a decade now that we really should be. Uh, rephrasing that, and uh, I, I think that's starting to pick up, and would, would you agree? Have you heard anything about that, or are you really um, dialed in on that at all? Yeah,
4: no, I saw that language as well, and I think you're right. You, you are right on That's extremely important because conservation just assumes that there's some innate value in not using water when the right. reality is um, our food requires water to be grown, And and what we do need to be looking at is that efficiency. That's where a lot of our work throughout California is on, you know, given that we've got 400-some crops here um, and, and, you know, drought conditions frequently. It's a big issue.
5: Yeah. Well, let's move to water infrastructure. That's always um, a nice topic, you know, the conveyance, the surface storage, the groundwater. uh, We know that that's critical for the entire United States, um, and especially here in California, staying in our ag and and environmental and urban use. Um, what do you see in your crystal ball um, happening on that front, maybe from both the federal and state legislative standpoint?
4: Well, I think your uh, previous guest spoke a little bit about the, the tunnels and, and some of that, so I won't spend too much time there. Um, clearly there's interest in California in the storage. I mean, we, we, we passed a bond. There's discussion about that but there's a lot of details to be worked out. There's still a lot of disagreement uh, on what that's going to look like and where it's going to be. Uh, my understanding is the omnibus bill to keep, you know, the government functioning, the 17-18 the um, fiscal year, um, that was, I, I'm not sure it was voted on yet or it was just voted on. The president hasn't signed it, but he's going too soon. It's very, very close. did include some funding for um, storage here in California. Um I don't know all the details on that but clearly we we've, we've got to find ways to do both surface storage and groundwater. In fact that's a really huge project we've been working on this past year is facilitating much more effective groundwater recharge um right. to to help us you know store that water in the wet years so that we've got it for dry years.
5: Right right and Paul you were just in Sacramento uh on some of these topics. What 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 did you hear?
3: well it's it's interesting because um uh, there was a very interesting speaker uh at this uh, CII conference uh, uh, dr helen dalkey from uc davis who's studying groundwater recharge and uh, some of her uh recent research uh with the with the uh amount of uh, water that left the state uh, because the permitting process was uh, Or, uh Is that something that, that the UC system is looking at as well?
4: Absolutely. In fact, um, we hosted a, um, uh, a about 75, 80 people at a meeting, co-hosted it with California Forward and some other partners this last fall in preparation for the California Economic Summit. Uh, one of the three major goals of the California Economic Summit has right now is to develop, and and we're using develop in a very broad term, one million acre-feet of water additionally each year for the next ten years. And uh, improved groundwater storage is a real key issue there. What we did is we brought together folks from local government, uh, land-use decision-makers, water management agencies, and this year we added in flood management, too, because part of the problem is those three different entities land use water management flood management they really aren't talking together as much as they could or should and some of their rules and regs are contradictory to each other so we identified some specific recommendations on that and presented those at the state economic summit and they're now moving forward we're going to have an additional follow-up meeting to that later this this year to keep keep the momentum
3: that's excellent news i think uh... uh... I, I, uh, the conferences and lectures that I've attended, I, I think uh, your observations are, are uh, crystal clear because I, I've seen the same kind of things happening, and, and everybody is kind of doing their own thing, if you will, and uh, just uh, pro, uh, providing these folks with a forum where we can sit down and discuss these things rationally and work together uh to solve these uh, these problems in a, in a bipartisan way, it's going to be- benefit everybody, uh, the, the urban uh, folks, the farming committee, and, and the environment. I think that's uh, Absolutely. critically important. In fact,
4: our, our recommendations included groundwater recharge in urban areas as well as ag land. And, and just to give you a sense of how uh, much interest there is in this and how exciting it is, um, Scientific American ranked the idea of improving groundwater recharge projects on Aglands as one of 2015's top ten big ideas that will change the
3: world. Wow, that's that's refreshing to hear. I'm encouraged.
5: It seems like such a no-brainer, but we weren't really doing it. I mean, it's just uh, hindsight's always 2020, of course. But yeah, irrigate efficiently during the irrigation season so that we don't over-irrigate. And, you know get the bad stuff into the groundwater but in the winter when we have our big storms that's when we need to deliberately flood irrigate our lands and recharge that that savings account right
4: <laughs> absolutely
3: yeah and and the Out beauty of, this, of it is the,
4: if you do it right you get a lot of other side benefits as well
3: such as boy we could talk about that all uh yeah wildlife habitats and all yeah, yeah. Well, and well, wildlife can, yeah.
4: Habitat's an obvious yeah, point, wildlife, wildlife habitats yeah. Plus, also, the kind of land that you're putting water on to recharge groundwater, particularly in high water events, is probably reducing flooding in a place you don't want flooded like a city.
5: Sure, sure, sure. Hey, be- before we run out of time, I want to make sure we touch on this report that you commissioned that I learned about last year when you were the uh, keynote at a-, at a conference I was speaking at as well, the um, um, the RCD conference, and it was about a... Um, report you commissioned to define the value of California's environmental um, land value, similar to how we put a value on ag or industry. You commissioned a report to put a value on what our just natural environment was worth. Tell us about that. That was fascinating to me.
4: Well, um, there's two things going on. Uh, we we've commissioned a report five years ago on the, the economic value and jobs related to our California working landscape. Because I just am very frustrated when I hear people say ag is only 2% of the state's GDP. Why do we care about it? Well, the reality is if you look at California's working landscape, the the value in uh, 2012 was over $318 billion in direct sales alone. We're currently updating that report, uh, putting together a blue ribbon task force to do so, because... Uh, they really underestimated some stuff in the early report. When the new one comes Mm. out later this year, it's going to show that California's working landscapes are probably somewhere around 40% of the state's economy. And that doesn't even touch on ecosystem services, which is the other report we just commissioned and released at the State Economic Summit this past November, where we really looked at, uh, we, we commissioned a report, a great team worked on it, put it together, and it gives some... Uh, review of opportunities, some recommendations on how California can really pursue uh, ecosystem services, uh, different ways of funding, etc., related to water supply, ag production, climate stability, recreation and tourism, and habitat biodiversity. And again, the really, the really wonderful thing is, often you get multiple. Uh, benefits amongst those five areas by finding
5: ways to have them work together. That's fantastic. I mean, that's really inspiring. You know, it just sounds like, hey, there's a lot of problems. You know, we always hear about the problems, but there's a lot of good work being done to to solve them, and that's – so thank you for the work that you're doing there. Rob, do we have time to hear a little bit about UCTV? Where are we at in the program? Another minute or two? We have
0: have a minute. We have a minute, but also I'd like to let her – Let our audience know how they can get in touch with her. Yeah, okay. You're fascinating. You know, actually,
4: uh, we're pretty easy to find. If you do a, a Google search or whatever your search engine is on UCANR, Ag and Natural Resources, you'll jump right to our website. And at that point, you can find information on all of our programs. You can click on your own local county and have contact info for the specialists and advisors there, and how to hook up with the programs, it's, it's really easy to find us. Just just Google UCANR.
0: Excellent. Well, that's bringing us bring this up. Linda, thank, <clears throat> yeah, ahead. thank
5: you so much for uh, being our guest and for the good work that you do. We really look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Glenda.
0: It's been a pleasure. Thank you
3: for all your hard work.
0: Absolutely. Great guests that you brought on, Inge and Paul. We appreciate that a lot. And uh, we'll catch everybody next week.